You are now listening to Palestine Pulse, the podcast to revive Palestine in all of our hearts. This podcast is brought to you by the Students for Justice in Palestine at Mission College. We hope you enjoy. Hi, welcome everyone to the first episode of Palestine's Pulse. Today we will be diving into the movement of Palestine in the U.S. My name is Olive Tree, and today we are joined by Omar. Assalamu My name is uh, Justice, and we'll be your host for this podcast. A couple of disclaimers: this podcast is 100% anonymous, and it's powered by Mission College students for Justice in Palestine organization. So, uh, how are you doing today, Omar? Alhamdulillah, super happy to be here and uh, to be invited by you all. And, happy uh, to have you. Um, would you like to tell us about your earliest memory of learning about Palestine? Yeah, of course. Um, so I can give a brief introduction first. Uh, my name is Amar. I'm an organizer with the Palestinian Youth Movement. We're a grassroots and international organization. Uh, it's dedicated to helping um, with the liberation of Palestine, for which uh, 35 years now has been under a brutal occupation. So we're a collective of youth uh, that is doing the work to mobilize our people and to create a strong front in the diaspora um, so that we can still play an integral role uh, in our liberation struggle. Oh, yeah, that, sound, that sounds amazing. Uh, so how long uh, have you been a part of this? Um, I've been organizing for, uh, since I was in college, actually, I started off uh, at uh, Students for Justice in Palestine, SJP, at Santa Clara University. Um, I think it was in 2018 uh, or 2017, actually, that I first joined. Was and that like the first time that you heard about Palestine? No, no, no. I'm I'm Palestinian. Um, so my you know, family, since I was uh, a kid, actually, would uh, my father, he would sit us down at, at uh, dinner and he'd explain our family history and the history of Palestine. A lot of it started because uh, in school, my sister had Zionist teachers and Zionist classmates would say, no, your country doesn't exist. Um, your people don't exist. And my sister came home saying, Baba, you know, why, why are they saying these things? It's not true. Um, so he would sit us down and uh, tell us uh, the true story of, of Palestine and how we're connected to it so that's um that's how i first heard of about <laughs> uh palestine yeah that sounds uh that's crazy i'm not gonna lie uh yeah having teachers at such a young age you know putting that stuff into your mind i mean i'm glad that you had very good parents from the lot to you know, make that clear but yeah definitely a problem we're facing Absolutely. but yeah real quick we're just gonna start Really lighthearted, you know, we're going to start with some light questions. Uh, what would you say, you said you're Palestinian. What would you say your favorite Palestinian meal is? Oh, oh, that's such a good question. Um, probably Matluba, I'd have to say. Ooh. Oh, that's a good one. That's you want to describe it for anybody that doesn't know exactly what it is? It's basically the greatest dish that you <laughs> have in your life. <laughs> it literally like, translates to like flipped right or to flip yeah yeah literally mm -hmm. yeah flipped over uh, yeah flipped over yeah um, it's chicken and rice but better 
So you like layer the first uh, first layer uh, with like you fry the vegetables, uh, you put the, the meat, the rice. Um, and then once everything is ready, you take the whole pot and then the whole family comes around and you you flip it down and then you see yeah. you, you you start drumming on the on the bottom of the, the pan to make sure that everything comes out. My favorite like, part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's where the name comes from, right? I mean, you got the the flipped over, Lixie flipping over the pot. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but probably what the Wali, what I have is my favorite, 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 which means grape leaf or or the grapevine, um, sprawled stuffed grape leaves. Do you know how to make either of these? Yes, of course. Oh, we got a chef. We got a chef. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's no yeah definitely two amazing dishes honestly if i had to pick right here it had to be what i got up i'm not gonna lie you can't go wrong you can't, can't go wrong, go wrong. can't go wrong yeah. okay. and basically it's rice wrapped in grape leaves for anybody that doesn't know of course but no, definitely some amazing dishes yes um, so, i'm hungry um <laughs> <laughs> uh, Moving on from there, we would like to ask you an interesting question. If a Palestinian, if Palestine had a superpower, what would it be? Oh, our will. You know, Palestinians have an unbreakable will and determination yes. in, in face yes. of, of a brutal occupation. No, it's un, unshakable, especially our people from Gaza. They face the worst conditions of all Arabs, of all people in the world. And despite all of this, their belief that their cause is just, their belief that uh, they will see uh, liberation um, and that their martyrdom um, was in service of of our struggle is is incredible. You know, you see videos of our brothers who have lost everything. And the first word that comes out of their mouth is Alhamdulillah, uh, because they know that uh, they have an unshakable faith uh, in God and and in their homeland, um, and that whether it's through them, their generation, or the next, uh, that their sacrifice will allow them for their grandchildren all and all children of, of Palestine to um, return. No, yeah, definitely. I feel I feel that uh, if any other people were put in the situation, it would be a completely different story, but. It's definitely clear that the Palestinians have unbreakable wills. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, honestly, like even kids as young as like seven or eight, they literally teach you about perseverance and just fighting through it and pushing through and having faith. You know, it's just, you know, it's really uh, brings, like it brings you back. You're like, you see that and you're like, there is still hope. Uh, they've put the hope in us. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had one percent of uh, their their will of our people back home. Yeah. All right. Without further ado, we're gonna move on to the harder questions. Um, first, by starting with, can you tell us a bit about the uh, block the boat actions that have happened? Yes. Um, I don't know too much since I wasn't involved in planning them, uh, but I know the people who were, and uh, just an amazing 
uh, amazing show of of uh, popular uh, resistance to um, Israel, right? So the basic context of what happened is historically, uh, the Port of Oakland has received ships from a company called Zim. They're an Israeli uh, company that brings about um, Israeli produce or imports or takes out exports to go to Israel. Um, a lot of times they bring in uh, Israeli products and the original black diplomat actions, which happened um, in 2021 and also uh, recently in, in the past month of 2023. Um, and also in 2014, or I believe um, as well, was to have a popular show that we will not uh, accept Israeli merchandise to be brought and uh, docked down uh, in the port of Oakland. It was huge coordination with the unions uh, and the workers at the port, and they were extremely supportive. Uh, they were very pro-Philistine. People came at around 4 or 5 a.m. and began picketing uh, so that the boats would not uh, dock. And uh, from, from there, it was uh, successful. This time was different. Uh, in the Port of Oakland, there was a military ship who was to send uh, you know, weapons meant to go to Israel. Um, and protesters came from a text message early in the morning um, saying that this boat was arriving at Oakland and we need to help um, stop it. So hundreds of people came. Um, they protested in front of the boat would not let them dock, and a few very brave individuals uh, climbed up onto the boat itself, uh, urging for um, none of the boats to be allowed to have the weapons loaded onto them. And it was a success. Uh, the boat had to leave the Port of Oakland and go to Tacoma, Washington, I believe, uh, where they had a similar uh, action. Wow, that's, that is absolutely amazing and also crazy uh, to be there like, <laughs> 4 a.m. That is, again, that's, that's also talking about willpower. That's a lot of willpower. Uh, just drive to Oakland and, for, and be there at 4 a.m. And even to get on the boat, you know, because I heard about that some of them got arrested people yeah. on the boat. So that's, that's really crazy. And that's what we need to, you know, like put out there that we're willing to step up in every place that you're going to support Zionism. You're gonna get boats, we're gonna block them. We're not gonna let them dock, you know. And then you have offices that's like uh what you call representatives that support Zionists. We're gonna go to their offices and we're gonna have sit-ins and things like that. So yeah, but that, that is really amazing. Um, so does that like how do you get the word out there for people to know about this like last minute thing? Yeah, a lot of times it's through uh the Palestinian youth movement or the uh, Arab Resource and Organizing Center, AROC, or through organizations like Silicon Valley for Palestine. Um, PSL is another big organization, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, uh, JVP, Jewish Voice for Peace. Um, in San Jose itself, organizations like Hero Tent and Black Outreach um, are also extremely supportive. You know, if you follow their pages, 
they uh, are helping support community actions, especially um, ones for Palestine. And uh, this is where we get all of our information of um, what's going on, who to follow, where to go, who to support. No, definitely, definitely. Uh, I see, I haven't heard about a few of those. I definitely check them out. But moving on from that, uh, we know that there are many ceasefire resolutions that are being pushed out within the cities from all over the Bay Area. Uh, can you tell us about a bit about how those council meetings went and uh, what do you see as the next steps for us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So yesterday there was about four <laughs> resolutions. Oh, wow. Um, or city council meetings that talked about those resolutions. One was in San Jose in the city of Hayward. Uh, there's one in San Francisco as well. And I believe in Berkeley. Um, so right now there's a battle in San Jose for um, a San Jose city council member to introduce actually um, a, a resolution for um, a ceasefire. What we saw yesterday was hundreds of community members come and to show public support for a ceasefire resolution. Uh, saying that we haven't seen anything and we would uh, urge our city council members to bring about a ceasefire resolutions because it's the bottom line. You know, it's the very most basic step for one to show their humanity uh, in the face of an ongoing genocide in Gaza. So there's meetings being held with different city council members and the fight right now is to make sure that they put through a strong resolution that uh, actually focuses on Palestine and does not water the language down and turn into a resolution that is uh, two-sided or condemns Palestinians in any ways, right? Um, it's not an, uh, a symmetrical um, issue right now. Palestinians are at the helm of a brutal settler colonial regime and a military occupation. Um, and the Israelis, the Zionists, are the occupiers, uh, are the non-native people who have come to impose domination and genocide against the indigenous people, uh, the Palestinians. And the, the ceasefire resolution, we are urging, be reflective of that. 100%. Um, I was going to say, do you feel that people are, there, there's more support now? uh because of because cities are starting to open up because before there was no support now that cities are open up do you feel that more people also are seeing the truth yeah absolutely uh there is more support for palestine than we have seen in our lives the entire world is mobilized millions and millions of people are pouring into the streets november 4th we had the largest pro-palestine protest in all of u.s history where geographers calculate close to 600,000 people came in the streets of Washington, D.C. to support the Palestinian youth movement and our central demands, which was for an immediate ceasefire, the release of all Palestinian prisoners, the complete and total liberation of Palestine from the river to the sea, and the return of all Palestinians and Palestinian refugees to their homeland. Um, and an end to U.S. aid, right? We we marched yep. from the center of D.C. straight to the White House, right in front of Biden's residency. 
so that there could be no question of the popular support of Palestine. And we're seeing this too, even across the democratic basis. An overwhelming majority of young voters are uh, extremely disappointed with the way Biden is handling this uh, situation with just his unending support of the Israelis and his green light for weapons, for aid, and also political cover. The Israelis know they're not able to continue uh, this genocide without the, the support of the U.S. They know how strong the international pressure has been on them um, with, you know, uh, close to a dozen, uh, not quite a dozen, but uh, several countries pulling out their ambassadors from uh, Israel itself, which is then one step below uh, diplomatically from cutting all diplomatic ties with the country huge pressure even from uh, allied countries, massive pressure from the UN and the UN General Secretary, who just today has uh, used his most powerful diplomatic tool, which is uh, the UN um, Article 99, which calls for an immediate uh, invocation of the Security Council so that they can meet over the crisis in Gaza. So they're facing monstrous support. Their propaganda has failed time and time again. They know, they know they're losing the media war and they yeah. know that if they lose the, the support of the U.S., they'll not be able to continue uh, their brutal regime. So um, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing the internal contradictions within the U.S. erupt. Um, young voters are becoming increasingly dissuaded with the Democratic Party because they know that they are not actually representing the interests of their constituency. They are representing the interests of the Israeli lobby, the weapons lobby, and um, Israel itself, as opposed to uh, the voters of, of their base. So um, the Biden administration is seeing that and, and, and feeling that. Um, and our role is to continue the pressure until, until we can um, force the end of uh, U.S. aid. We have definitely seen a lot of support. and. Um... The, as you mentioned, a lot of people are changing their mind. They're being open. <clears throat> their minds are being open to this new truth as, as, as Israeli propaganda is falling down and the masks, masks are falling off from the Biden administration, from um, the media, from the representatives that are supporting Israel without, uh, without this doubt. <laughs> they're just, without, like in a heartbeat, they're just proving things for them and covering things for, up for them. Um, but that is getting to an end. Uh, that pressure is increasing, as you mentioned. Um, on the political scale, on the financial scale, there is boycotts for the uh, companies, uh, Israeli, uh, the companies that support Israel. Um, but we also want you to talk about November 24th, which was Black Friday. How did the boycotts and Black Friday affect like what was their effect on Israeli companies? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it was huge. It was one of the most successful actions that the city of San Jose had, had ever seen, right? Uh, several hundreds of, of Palestinian um, protesters and people marched into the mall, you know? The decision to go inside to the mall was not um, 
on any one person, but the people decided, you know, we, we want to go in and we want to show that there'll be no business as usual as people continue to shop on Black Friday and Palestinians are massacred before our eyes. So it's one of the biggest malls in all of California. Uh, and they marched from Santana Row and went straight inside, um, marched uh, throughout the mall itself and showed that as people are shopping, there are bombs that are dropping, right? This is one of the central chants demanding for a permanent ceasefire uh, and saying that we can't continue our lives as normal. You know, these Zionist businesses, Starbucks, Zara, uh, that are within the mall itself are directly supporting the occupation and are directly complicit in the death of every single one of Palestinians who have, have died at the hands of the occupation because they financially support them. And the power tool was to show that our people are, are extremely tired, right? And they are ready for um, their voice to be heard, to be able to engage in more direct action. Um, and they need San Jose to do something, right? Um, they need, you know, immediate divestment from all of these corporations who are funding the, the occupation. And um, it showed the very clear organization of our community. You know, they're, they're organized, they're agitated, and the revolutionary conscience is growing. Definitely. We have seen a lot of protests like everywhere on the streets. And as you mentioned, the move with the mall, that's that's great. That That's like, uh, you wouldn't think of that. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure they tried to stop you guys from getting into the malls because they don't want the people, they don't want to disturb the people who are peacefully supporting <laughs> the Zionist side. They Was that like, how was the turnout from going into the mall like did you guys experience uh, much resistance from inside the mall because i'm sure you experienced resistance outside the mall yeah the um head security tried very very hard for people not to enter they're blocking off entrances yelling at people telling them to leave um and the cops were there they were watching but not doing anything there was no dispersal order given they didn't arrest anybody they didn't tell us to leave um, because we didn't actually uh, destroy or, or do anything illegal. You know, we have the legal right to protest. Uh, and there are several different Supreme Court decisions and also legal presidents that say that we have the right to engage in political activity uh, within um, a mall. So um, the biggest pushback that we saw was actually from uh, racist Zionists were there um, antagonizing us. There was a, a woman who went viral, uh, a white Zionist who spit at us from the second floor. Yeah. And she also was spitting at a, uh, a black father and her child. The father engaged, he said, why are you spitting? You're spitting on my daughter. You know, it's not something that's okay. And she engaged yelling at him, saying, you know, her own words, is what she said. Yeah. Um, extremely racist and clear that you know her own racism came out not only against Palestinians but also against Black people, right? So uh, disgusting, disgusting action by her, and shows you that the Zionist project is not one that is just anti-Arab or anti-Muslim. 
but also anti-black. When we look at the history of Israel's treatment of uh, Ethiopian Jews, it's it's really disgusting. You know that they're open uh, racist chants against black people, and they even have projects in which they had sterilized Ethiopian women who came uh, into uh, into Israel, so-called Israel. Uh, so they can maintain population control of their, you know, white ethnostate as much as as possible. Um, so, yeah, hundred percent. Actually, yeah, I did uh, see that video, and nah, it was it was it was horrible. I mean, yeah, seeing that, and I feel like seeing that and experiencing that are uh, two things. But even just seeing it was hard. You know, it's especially. Uh, Especially because I also see my, I'm also African American, so in that is definitely tough. But yeah, yeah, it's disgusting. I hope um, I hope she lost her job. I hope um, she's never able to, you know, enter into public again without coming to terms with, you know, her own racism. Definitely. So you not only as an action organizer, but you're also Palestinian. So uh, within the next year, we have our presidential election coming up. What actions do you think we can take to help prevent all the support and aid that has been coming out of the uh, Democratic Party in office? Yeah, we got to keep on mobilizing, right? We have to get people out into the street. And two, we have to engage in very strong political education campaigns. We have to educate our youth of the history of Palestine, the complicity, too, of the Democratic Party. Uh, and how they really know better than Republicans. Um, they're the two faces of what? Of U.S. imperialism, who administration across administration have wreaked havoc across the third world in an attempt to do what? To maintain U.S. hegemony or U.S. control um, as much as possible. Any country who rejects the service role of themselves to the U.S. and to the West is deemed a threat. Any country that has a government that says, actually, our primary role is in service of the needs of our people has been um, marked as communist, and, you know, regardless of whether or not they're actually communist, and um, destroyed by the U.S., you know? This was the big threat in Vietnam. It was not that Vietnam posed a regional threat or a threat to the U.S. militarily, but what they did was they showed an example to the region that you did not have to rely on, um, you know, the hegemony of the West, and you did not have to succumb to the service role of um, the West either and change your domestic policy to serve the foreign policy of the West. And that is what was, was most dangerous about uh, Vietnam to the US. And that's why they invaded and engaging in a disgustingly brutal campaign of murder. Um, and this story is copied dozens of times over across the world, in Latin America, in the Middle East, um, in all across Asia or Pacific Asia as well. Um, so making sure that those, those histories are, are clear, are understood, ra helping radicalize our youth 
um, and you know build build a mass base of uh, support for Palestine, but also an understanding that the Democratic Party is directly funding um, the genocide of of Palestinians, as to are the Republicans, and this dichotomy of we have to look past, you know, the dichotomy of Democrat and Republican and understand the two-party system as a farce, uh, an imperial farce, um, and really have a solid analysis of their their policies first. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. There's a, they used a lot of force, again, to just like suppress the people in Vietnam and other areas that they... Uh, the U.S. just showed off their military and their might, uh, supposed might, and even here in you know in the U.S. region, face a lot of police brutality um, and a lot of harassment towards the protesters. You know, like the police yeah. could be brutal towards the protesters; they could just block them off um, or hit them with sticks or something like that. And your experience as an organizer, as a person who's been like protesting for quite a long time. Um, do you have any stories that of pushback that you faced while campaigning uh, from uh, police? Yeah, yeah. So many times, you know, we've had uh, police arrest community members, harass us. Um, just yesterday at the City Hall meeting, they brought in 24 patrol cars um, for having Muslims Palestinians, Arabs attend the city city hall meeting. You know, there was not even a protest attached to it, and they brought out a massive force. Um, it's completely disproportionate to our people there. You know, yeah. it, so they see us as such a threat for participating in local politics, which is what we should be able to do. Uh, but we can't we can't do so without there being a massive you know backlash from from the police. Um, they 100%. even threatened to arrest a, a community member who was there at the at the uh, city council meeting. Yeah, no, um, hundred percent. But I mean, if you look at it, uh, it could be a good thing because then it means it means they're scared. It means it's working, right? I mean, they wouldn't go so overboard if they didn't fear like that group, right? I mean, to them, this is you know an Avengers level threat, right? They're 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 terrified right now. <laughs> they're you know they're yeah, but i mean they need to yeah i guess so even though we pose literally no threat uh mm -hmm. the only threat we know yeah act like actually educating and mobilizing our people but to them that's, that's the biggest threat so you're right using education as a weapon and absolutely. they hear that yeah absolutely uh but of course at the forefront of this movement uh a lot of students a lot of youth uh taking control, you know, and they face all kinds of threats like doxing and uh, some, of, of course, a lot of other things. But uh, what is some advice you would give to the student organizers? 100%. Um, don't, don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid of, of the threats because that's the biggest, uh, the biggest threat we actually face is like the deterrence. So the idea of pushback from the Zionists will stop anybody from joining. So we need to, you know, be smart about it, right? Let's take precautions. Um, let's make sure that we keep ourselves safe. 
but also know that we're fighting against the paper tiger, right? You know, the threat of Canary Mission is almost none. I know so many people who have been on Canary Mission still are on, and it has close to zero impact in their life. They're still able to get jobs, still able to return to Philistine. Um, and a lot of times, you know, when you're rejected at the border going through, it's uh, arbitrary. Whether or not you are, are on or are not even on, they can reject you. But the biggest threat that they've had is so many students are afraid to join into this organizing work because of you know the looming possibility of canary or the Zionists. And it's real. Yeah. Doxing is real. They have so much resources and uh, energy into threatening students. But we have power as a collective. We have power in, in the masses that support Palestine and all of the community resources that are available to protect us. Just like you're saying, right? The fact that they deem us so threatening shows the importance of our work. Um, campuses are the exact grounds where people first start to become radicalized, understand what is full esteem, why it should matter to them, how the U.S. is involved, uh, the direct complicity of universities, businesses, and all aspects of civil society, and the creation of this national myth that is um, a benevolent Zionism. And we know that the truth is it's a you know disgusting colonial regime. Yeah. And that's the power that you have as student organizers is being able to break through that uh, those those myths and build up you know the foundations of uh, a movement. Not for sure, yeah, hundred percent. Um, no, hundred percent, yeah, yeah, yeah. I... Um, we're just gonna do a quick round of um rapid fire questions just so we can end it off if you don't mind omar um Go for it. first is what's the first question you would ask when palestine is free first question i would ask yes sorry maybe i don't understand like who would i ask <laughs> no like well oh sorry like what's the first thing that you would say not ask sorry Alhamdulillah. <laughs> that's what i would say all right, uh, if you had one message to the people of Palestine, what would it be? That we have not abandoned them. That here in the U.S. we continue to fight, you know, with our bloods and with our souls. And that Palestine is the number one issue. We don't spend one moment without thinking of our homeland. Uh, that we will, we will continue to fight until the last uh, drop of sweat has left our brow. Um, so that we could see a liberated Palestine. Okay. And that was Omar uh, for you. Thank you, everyone, uh, for joining us. Thank you, Omar, for joining us. And thank you for listening to Palestine's Pulse. Um, inshallah, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. This is Palestine in Five. Five minutes of the events that have taken place since October 7th. Since October 11th at 2 p.m. local time, Gaza has been suffering from an electricity blackout. The fuel-run backup generators that are used to keep critical infrastructure functional have now run out. On October 13th, Israel shelling of southern Lebanon killed Issam Abdullah, a journalist from Refuters, and injured six others. An investigation by Reporters Without Borders suggests that the journalists were hit by two airstrikes in close proximity and rapid succession. On October 19th, the Israeli military hit the St. Phosphorus Greek Orthodox Church, where hundreds have been reportedly been sheltering, with 16 killed, according to the Gaza Health Ministry.
On October 20th, Defense Minister Gallant announced that Israel's military campaign in Gaza would accumulate the creation of a new security regime in the Gaza Strip. The removal of Israel's responsibility for life in the Strip and the creation of a new security reality for the citizens of Israel. On October 21st, the Israeli military said that it would intensify its airstrikes on Gaza going forward. On October 27th, landline cellular data and internet services were cut off across the Gaza Strip following a barrage of heavy Israel airstrikes with the main telecommunications tower reportedly being hit. On October 30th, Netanyahu rejected more frequent calls for a ceasefire. On November 1st, the Israeli military struck again the densely populated Jabela refugee camp, reportedly destroying an entire quarter with 30 residential buildings according to Oka. On November 2nd, several UN experts issued a statement warning that the Palestinian people are at grave risk of genocide and affirming that the Israeli airstrike on a residential complex in the Jabela refugee camp are a brazen violation of international law and a war crime, amongst other points. On November 3rd, Israel reportedly struck a convoy of ambulances en route to the Rafah crossing in proximity to the El Shifa hospital in Gaza City. The point of origin killing at least 13 people and injuring 26 others. The World Health Organization issued a statement emphasizing that the attacks on health care, including the targeting of hospitals and restricting the delivery of essential aid such as medical supplies, fuel and water, may amount to the violations of international humanitarian law. On November 11th, the building of the United Nations Development Program in Gaza was reportedly hit. As of November 13th, all hospitals in the north of Gaza except one, Al-Ahli Hospital, which serves under severe strain, have ceased operations due to the lack of electricity and essential supplies, as well as airstrikes and fighting nearby. On November 19th, 31 premature babies at the Al-Shifa Hospital were caused to evacuate to a hospital in Rafah, South Gaza, alongside staff and companions. Five others had reportedly died in the preceding days because of the electricity blackout and lack of fuel. On November 19th, an Israeli airstrike killed Bilal Jadallah, a veteran journalist and the founder and chairman of the Gaza Press House. On November 21st, Farah Omar and Ravih Al-Mamari, both working for the Lebanese news channel al Mayadin, were killed during an Israeli airstrike in southern Lebanon. On November 24th, after a temporary humanitarian pause entered into effect, Israeli forces reportedly opened fire and threw tear gas canisters on people attempting to travel to the area north of Wadi Gaza. With the resumption of hostilities on December 1st, heavy Israeli bombardment throughout the Gaza Strip continued. The BBC has verified a video that depicts the Great Omari Mosque in Gaza City, which dates back to the 7th century, reduced to rubble. Only the minaret remains. Our last count states that 17,487 Palestinians have been killed and over 1 million have been displaced. This is Palestine in 5. Thank you for listening to Palestine Pulse the podcast to revive Palestine in all of our hearts. This podcast is brought to you by the Students for Justice in Palestine at Mission College. Tune in for the next episode. And remember, with every heartbeat, the pulse of Palestine will always endure.